0: Word up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle (laughs) and think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started WordUp to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my Locals platforms where for as little as $5 a month you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our high vibe tribe and and lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, WordUp also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals, and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycatz.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. How's it all going? How's your full moon in Virgo treating you?
1: Hmm. Really well. Like so, we just did a fire ceremony impromptu. Uh, right. We were actually just doing our spring cleaning, and then it turned into a fire ceremony.
0: <laughs> <coughs> spring cleaning turned into spring burning.
1: Oh, for sure. Um, we just, we, we were burning basically like the rotten wood all around our property. Um, and not all of them is gone, but we figure, like I was getting, okay, do another one in April. And so hopefully it wouldn't be, it's still going to be a little bit wet. Um, especially with the fires last April. I mean, my goodness. So (laughs) I'm like crossing my fingers. Uh, but what, what's showing up, um, is just a lot of letting go of uh, narratives that have been um, dominant in my life, but also narratives that have been protective, right? Um, Of ideas and concepts that as a human being, um, you know, it, it helps us cope with the immediate moment that we're in. So for example, I was just remembering a time uh, when I was two and I, I don't remember it, but it was just a feeling uh, when milk was no longer available to me. And so I think basically my mom probably stopped breastfeeding and um, and I was like, this is really funny. And, and milk um, represented something to do with like nourishment and safety and like all the things that mother nature kind of represents in a way. And I was like, Wow, okay, so let's let's bring that back <laughs> <You know? laughs> of uh, just kind of bringing back the um, or, or allowing myself to not be protective of, oh, that's not going to be available to you, so you got to protect yourself, you know um, and and creating layers that we don't need anymore. Um, so that's just one example, but it's just like kind of coming in every day uh, on a regular basis and and just shedding these narratives and then allowing more abundance and um, love to come in. So yeah, that's, that's my full moon in Virgo since I'm also Virgo. <laughs> I, so <it's laughs> how about you? For you. Um,
0: yeah. I love what you're saying. Cause in terms of just letting go of that, um, like fear of not having the nourishment, like I can see where there's a hook there in scarcity versus the trusting that like source is going to provide the nourishment exactly when you need it. it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that kind of coincide to shifting into like, greater levels of abundance consciousness?
1: Um, You know, I, I'm always like in the abundance consciousness. So it's more like the emotional connection, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so not only like having that on a, on a mental level, but also on the physical, emotional level. And for me that there is a difference between the physical energy, like I could feel energies, but also um, there's a difference between feeling energy in my body versus feeling the emotion, the, the echo of like what that energy actually is. And so when I allow myself to feel the m- emotion of whatever it is, cause sometimes it's not mine and I'm like, I really don't need to feel this. <laughs> you know? Well, oftentimes it's not mine. And I'm like, why am I feeling this? You know? <laughs> and, then, and so when it starts moving around my body, I'm like, Oh Lord, <laughs> you know? um, but uh, but then when I name it and I can identify where it's coming from, then it just like goes away. Cause I'm like, yo, you don't need to be in my body, get the heck out, you know? Um, but the, the emotional part where it's a narrative that I have and that is, you know, my attachment to the narrative that kind of like goes away, you know? Mm. And then because it goes away, it also the barriers and the, it's almost like the, the echoes of that energy of that narrative also sort of like slough off. And so therefore I'm more open to um, seeing things and experiencing things in a way that uh, carries a greater amount of compassion and love, Mm. if that makes sense. So I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. And I love your, like that sort of granular differentiation between the energy and the emotion and just what happens when we liberate ourselves from those kind of old emotional traumas, narratives, like whatever they are.
1: Right. Yeah. And there's so much going on right now that, like, I mean, everyone, you know, on this earth, if you're on this earth in this moment, <laughs> you know, we're, we're being exposed to so much light and and so much energy that it's just like the only thing you can do is really let go. And if you choose to kind of carry all that stuff with you into the future, well. It's gonna feel a lot heavier than than before. So you're gonna notice it more. And because everybody's kind of like sloughing it all off, um, sometimes you just need a purification. So, you know, the other day we got snow, right? And I was like, score. <laughs> and and whenever there's rain or snow, like it's such a blessing. Uh, and it just kind of washes all the um like the the um the static energy in a way, you know, and, and just blesses the earth and then. Like you're, we're all blessed with like the new um, energy that's now in the earth and kind of percolating. And and I can't wait till spring, you know, I mean, it already starts, started feeling like spring here, but yeah. It's so exciting.
0: <laughs> and it's rare that I have a guest on the podcast that we live in the same city. So I love that we're right. both yeah, just yesterday and Saturday. I'm like, is it spring? Is this insanely <laughs> cold winter actually letting up a little bit? Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm having a sim like, for me, this is a very interesting Virgo full moon. I'm mm-hmm. very attuned to my relationship with the 30th Gene Key. And I know we had talked about the Gene Keys a little bit and how um, that shadow of desire, how I have been in relationship with that in the past. And what I noticed is that, um, you know, in that system for me, that, key lies in my core wound, right? So I can, you know, tracking through that system, I'm like, oh yeah, that is the through line for when I have historically lost my shit, when I don't get what I want, when my desires aren't being met and noticing, oh, I have been in the habit of problemizing when my desires aren't met and realizing I don't have to do that. I could just sit like a grown up, and be like, look, my desire isn't being met and nothing has to be wrong and no one has to be to blame and I don't have to throw a tantrum and there don't have to be any problems, uh-huh. which easier said than done, but I'm, right, I'm right. like, you know, because it's so much um, sensation in my body. That's what I realize is for me, desire is so physical and mm. the largesse of that energy has in the past thrown me off. So Mm -hmm. what I'm realizing is really helpful is to write a new story about what's coming instead, you know, trusting the universe, like, okay, this is actually perfect that I'm not getting this thing. Here's the sensation of what I do want. And I'm trusting that it's coming from some other realm and then keeping that you know, that bratty part of me that isn't getting what she wants really close and being like, yeah, I see you. I get that you're not getting your way and you're totally fine. You can handle it. You have tools. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's a oh, lot of like, multitasking right now.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> Internally. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is there, yeah. is there a like a theme that's kind of coming up for you? And not just in like the last couple of days, but like just in general.
0: Um... I think the theme is, I can really have what I want. And am I willing to be patient and trust and receive and not compromise in the interim?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. What themes are coming up for Mm -hmm. you? Uh, For me, hmm, there's so many things that happen every day um, I guess the, the entire time that I feel like I've been in San, Santa Fe, the theme has been to learn to to know when to rest, mm-hmm. and then learn to like just to recognize when I'm in that go 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 energy, to to ride it, but then when it stops, it's like that's okay, and don't put don't go beyond that, you know. And and um, the fire medicine has really taught me in a hilarious kind of way how i function um where i like the fire so both my partner and i do fire ceremonies and um there are times when he starts a fire and there are times when i start a fire and then, so we're the you know each each one of us have have the role of firekeeper and um my fires always start in the middle <laughs> it's like it's not the foundational section it's not like the core it's in the middle <laughs> and, and like
0: so
1: <laughs> yeah or something Like, I'm just like, seriously, you know, why doesn't the paper underneath light up properly? (laughs) Right. And, and so I've learned to watch the fire and be like, okay, there are times when it'll just go and like, it'll start fire, like firing up in the middle. And then I just need to close the flute, like the the door um, to our little cubicle of a fireplace. And then let the air kind of like run through it and strengthen the whole process. So it's almost like I can light the fire, you know, or, or like light an idea, just let it sit for a while. Universe will percolate the whole thing. <laughs> you know? And then I'll open the door and then add more wood, you know, and and as I add more wood, then because I get a little bit enthusiastic, some of those woods are a little bit too big. And so then I have to close it again and then let, the, let nature do its work. And then maybe like the second or third time, then the fire really takes takes on its own um, energy and and it's you know uh, firing away and then I could just put as many wood on top of it after that yeah. but it's more whereas like you know my partner he like sets it all up beautifully you know and then like it's almost like a teepee <laughs> a shape and then there's like paper or something like kindling in the very middle with enough air to go through and so he just lights that kindling and with one match and then it's done like the whole thing starts you know growing and like that's the way he is right he's an architect he's very grounded and rooted in in the built material <laughs> so I'm like of course <laughs> Yeah. So.
0: but it's so funny because yeah. I was playing racquetball this morning with my friend who last time he came over he was watching me try to build a fire and he's like do you actually know how to build a <laughs> fire? Oh me. no. So there's no Virgo in my chart whatsoever. Like you would be appalled at what is happening in my fireplace. And just like <laughs> throw a bunch of things in, a bunch of paper, light it on fire. Sometimes it catches, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. Like it's not really super methodical, but
1: usually uh-huh. you know, <laughs> it works. <laughs> as long as you're having fun while you're doing it.
0: <laughs> I'm having, and it's, I mean, it's such a great testament to like how we all have our own different ways mm-hmm. of doing it. You know, like you and your partner have your different fires. So mm-hmm. I'm super excited to have you on the show. I, I'm intrigued by your path because I know when I first met you at the Pecha Kucha, just so the audience knows, we both presented at the same Pecha Kucha event in Santa Fe and I was just as surprised that you were participating as I was in participating. Um, Because I was thinking like, I'm gonna be exposed as not like totally swallowing the liberal Kool-Aid and then Mm -hmm. booted out. And then you're coming at it with this like high mystical light languages where I was like, whoa, I didn't realize that like they were bringing in this cool like mystical spiritual aspect. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, you have such a like kind of fierce East Coast vibe about you, which is so rare in Santa Fe. Like, I love it so much. And I know your background is like hardcore poli sci and you worked in Washington and you worked in the Obama White House. And now you're like channeling these light languages. So how did all
1: of this happen? In- <laughs> That's like a huge question. Um- So is is the question how did all the light language start happening or yeah
0: I'm really curious about Uh, your path of like where along the way of like mm. you know what seems you know and I could be wrong but like a kind of left brained like more serious like international politics career and then getting Mm -hmm. pulled off into something that's even fringy for like woo woo
1: people oh right yeah it's super fringy. Which I was a little surprised, but I was like, "Oh, I guess it is." Um, Yeah, so I I have always been really interested in complex, like just complexity in general. I think Um, I grew up in a family of seven other children, so we were eight kids. So you can imagine, you know, as an elder sister taking care of younger children and uh, two parents who are working full time in separate countries at certain points of our childhood and just kind of navigating, you know, where everything, uh, lies and how I can control my environment. Right. So, um, and, and having that many siblings, like you do end up doing a lot of politicking (laughs) inside the house (laughs) and, um, And because I was uh, the elder three, like, so I have two older sisters and then five younger siblings, and my sisters and I basically took care of the younger siblings at different parts of our uh, um, lives throughout since I was six, I can, um, I can remember, and, and so it just required, it just built in me and both my sisters, um, this sense of responsibility and needing to know, like, you know, what's going to happen next? Um, Like, what do we need to prepare so that we don't um, have any problems or challenges along the way? And this carried into when we moved to the United States for the first time when I was nine, and again, navigating a completely different culture, a completely different school system, right? And navigation, I mean, everybody was driving cars, like you didn't have freedom to navigate on your own. Whereas in Japan, every, well, at least in Tokyo, you could go from anywhere to anywhere without a car, right? Okay. Uh, public transportation exists. And so- um, What were some of the primary differences you
0: noticed between the school systems as a nine-year-old? Like what stood out for you
1: as being so different? Um, Well, first of all, I came from a Catholic all-girls school in Tokyo to a um, co-ed private school in Virginia, and um, there wasn't much diversity, and because the Catholic school that I went to, a lot of the diplomats kids went there, so, like, my best friends were from, like, Zambia and, you know, Namibia or, like, all these other different places like Pakistan, And, and so when I came to the United States, I was like, wow bite <laughs> you know <laughs> and um so that was my first impression the second impression was the food really did not taste good um, uh-huh. <laughs> so i stopped drinking milk altogether and then developed my own lactose intolerance but before that in japan yeah, like milk i would... theme. Mm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Nurturing. So so when I came to the U.S., the milk just tastes so horrible. And so I stopped drinking it. Um, But just food in general, they were huge. Like, you know, your eggplants are like, I don't know how many times the size of the eggplant in Japan. (laughs) And and yet our food in, in Japan are like they're small, but they're like packed with with flavor. And in the US, it's grown for just like the quantity and you know the size and all that good stuff. And so um, that, that was a huge adjust, adjustment. Um, and I think just needing to rely on people who have a driver's license was a, a real shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, it really limited the amount of exposure that we had to the whole area. So we lived right outside of Washington, DC. And I can't really tell you like, what Washington DC was like back then, you know, because we were just in the suburbs um most of the time. And my my mom would she's like, well, why would you want to go into the city? <laughs> you know, like we always have to have a reason you know, for everything. <laughs> and so um so that was the difference. Uh and then obviously, you know, the the cultural context, Americans are very upfront and um uh uh there's there's not much subtlety in the way that folks relate to one another, and you know the cliques and all that kind of stuff th- that existed in in our school as well in Japan. But because it was more diversified in the backgrounds that people were coming from, it, it didn't have such a, a polarized experience to it, if that makes sense. Um, and then I just kind of got used to it. You know, when you're nine, you just kind of absorb everything. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I because I was really interested in human interaction and how, like, why people do things the way, you know, why are people the way they are, I gravitated toward um, political science and history while I was in high school. And then in college, I had the opportunity to either go into computer science and neuroscience or international relations. And I was kind of gunning for neuroscience for a while, and it was just when neuroscience became a um, a major that, that you could actually choose, <laughs> you know, back in the day, and yeah. um, and so and this was right when the computer labs were like the first computer labs were coming out in universities as well. So um, it was a really exciting time, and um, unfortunately, after my first year of college, um, I was like all the younger siblings were pulled back to Japan, and so. Um, uh, my, my parents were like, no, we're we're like the younger kids and the children in general are losing the cultural context in which they grew up in, or were born into. And they're becoming more too Americanized, you know, like too detached from the family values. And so my parents brought all the kids back to Japan and somebody needed to take care of them. So I was it. (laughs) And I took two years off of college, uh, and um, at the time, I wanted to go back to university at the second year because I was like, oh, my God, raising kids like all the time. And, you know, it's super not my life. <laughs> I did not want that to be my full time job. And um, I, I mean, I was still working, but, you know, I was like that. I, I really want to go back to the university and then at least get my diploma. So at the time, the only option was to do international security. Um, And there was no neuroscience in the place that I was uh, studying. So I did international security. It was fantastic. I had a former ambassador who was uh, the professor, the lead professor, and he just brought so much experience and knowledge, like lived experience into the curriculum that I think that was my inspiration for continuing on. And um, I ended up transferring to Barnard College. Uh, Columbia University and and finishing out my last two years, I probably could have, uh, I mean, I could have graduated within a year, but they require you to have at least two years under your belt in order to get a diploma. Cash cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, And so I just graduated as quickly as possible. And at the time, uh, Columbia University did not have any international security classes. I was floored. I'm like, how is an institution like Columbia not have, I mean, they had SIPA, right? Or is it SIPA, the, the international school? Um, but it's, you know, for the master's program. And I at the, I think at the time I wasn't really looking at, like, a, um, for those classes to be available to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I was like, fine, political science. Like, I'll just graduate as fast as I can and just like did all the requirements and and got out of there. Um, but if, at, at the same time, it was like, you know, as I was kind of going through my career path, um, I wanted to be a lawyer, but like my test taking skills, not so great. <laughs> so my LSATs were like, no. <laughs> and and I was like, OK, whatever. My path is going to take a different turn. And um, as one thing led to another, um, I, I, I ended up gravitating toward things where I would organize a lot of activity around political, um, like elections or, you know, training, um, uh, young people on how to use a political system, you know, for their own, like for their own community or their, whatever the issue was from five, uh, fifth grade onward. So fifth grade to like adult, full adults and everything. And so does that mean like civics, like
0: local government?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Local government. So in, uh, the new England area, um, I- I'm just curious because it seems like most people in this country don't have a clue about that. Do you think it was the fact that you came here from Japan that gave you some sort of leg up or different perspective to be able to hack that system in a way that seems like most of the people who are born here haven't grokked yet?
1: Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, coming from a, a different, like, even if you're coming from a different state into a different, like, take us, for example, right, we're coming from a different state to Santa Fe, New Mexico, yeah. and we see the local engagement in a completely different way yeah. from, from a new set of eyes that has no history, like historical baggage or trauma or, you know, all that stuff. And so um, for sure, coming from Japan here um, and looking at the political system, I'm like, there, there are so many advantages to it. And also, because your legal system, to the extent that you can navigate the legal system well, um, provides at least a, an in to um, pursue justice. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's unique in the United States compared to all the other countries. Um, Japan does not have the kind of system that the United States has. It's it's very male dominant, um, primarily from maybe the top three schools that are the like all the juror you know the um the jurors and everything they're all from the top three schools over there so it's it's not diversified at all um and it's very consensus-based which does not do well when you're talking about like justice right
0: right right um yeah I'm I'm curious because you mentioned it's male dominated and I know Mm -hmm. There is a lot of opinions as to how, like, the patriarchy is rearing its head in the states. Do you see women in justice, women having power in these systems? In Japan. In the states.
1: Oh, in the states. Um, Not as much uh, compared to the men in the system, but compared to other countries, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You you have much more leeway and it's just a matter of how much you truly believe that you have that capacity and you, and, and that you can grab it. I think, um, and, and I think that's the work that we're all doing, right? Not, not just in the United States, but um, like folks who haven't had a tr- uh, traditionally hadn't had a voice, like all of that has been coming up, you know, um, particularly after COVID really hit and um, but even before that, you know, the, the LGBTQ um, movements of the 70s, 60s, and 70s also like really led the way for a lot of voices to be heard and, and policies to change, you know, and here we are in a time when, you know, um, same-sex marriage is legal, you know, which in our lifetime was illegal. Right. <laughs> so so there's there's a lot of Um, progression that has been achieved because of these people before us, you know, and and also people before that time as well. And it's just kind of like layering upon each other. And I feel like right now we're going through this accelerated um, transformation where that change is happening much more rapidly, not only because of all the people before us who have demonstrated to us a path, but now we're getting into a point of there is a new path that we're carving. And so it is scary, but uh, because so many people are used to looking at the past and then extrapolating and, and creating the new path in the future. But now we're like, no, we got to trust that the path is going to open up itself without any kind of historic past. You, you actually don't want to bring in the historic stuff wow. um, because of those systems are old. They're extractive. They're heavy. Um, they're very masculine in nature. And not to say that the, the masculine is bad, like super structured. Right. Um, very hierarchical all that kind of stuff. Like everybody has a label, you know, like that's the, like the logos, the male, the masculine is trying to identify and define. But the thing is like, once you define something, then it already immediately in the definition limits itself. It limits that which it isn't really right. And so once you define it, um, it it limits. So now when we're talking about the feminine and I know in the past um, podcast, you've talked about the feminine and the masculine, um, you know, we are moving toward, no, there is no definition. And yet the masculine will help create the shape for the feminine to actually be in. The only thing is we need to be flexible and the flexibility is not in the system that we are in right now. Um, And so more and more people are finding new ways to then create that flexibility, you know, whether it's in our work, the way we do our work, you know, so much of the remote working world and the digital nomad kind of, you know, space is really opening up. Uh, But again, it's happening pretty quickly um, because of all of the stuff that has been kind of moving us and ushering in this age, uh, which is really an exciting time to be in. If you see it from that lens, you know, and and if you see it from a lens of um, there's still so many challenges. And and again, focusing on the negative, you can focus on the negative so long as it's going to give you a contrast for the positive that you're going to be able to that you want to bring into the world. But if you're focusing on the negative and then just like talking about it and just like spewing and projecting all the things that you want to have happen, but you're not doing anything to make it happen, then you're just kind of adding to the negativity, you know, and, and all that. Whereas if you're using that as an inspiration and that's then the contrast really is working to move you in the direction of becoming the creator that we are and creating that which we want to see in the future right? Not what somebody else wants to see, but that we want to see. And I think that distinction is being made much more clearly now for many people. Ah, oh, You're so speaking my language.
0: I love everything that you're saying, not just in terms of not focusing on the negative, but in terms of like, once we label and identify, then there are all the things that that thing isn't. Like we've just taken infinite possibility and completely squelched it. And like Mm -hmm. putting on this really narrow path. And then the other piece that I really like is in terms of this regressive thinking um, and this kind of like like magical elevating of the past as though we need to Mm -hmm. go back to it. And I have this conversation with a lot of visionary thinkers who need to let, you know, just this kind of regressive, even the word revolution. And it's like, no, I don't, I we never wanna go backwards. We want to evolve, like take mm-hmm. the R off of it. And it's not to say that there aren't bits and pieces from the past that can and will inform, but I love what you're saying in terms of like, yes, take what isn't working as a means of engineering what the up leveled solution will be like, like use it as a tool mm-hmm. so that we can get into what we want and then focus on that. And then th- just this kind of feminine allowing of trusting that the more clear we are in the vision, the more um, we're able to kind of match the frequency of the solutions, then we'll have the support of these other forces that are far more intelligent than we as little like monkey brains and meat suits.
1: yeah i'm right now geeking out on joseph Riel's book um sound and vibration okay and uh it's it's really if you're the type of person or anybody in the audience who's looking at um how to work with inspiration and how to move into this new direction and maybe some you know some of your listeners already have that within themselves but um if, if you're able to like Move with the frequency of an idea, right? So for me, ideas, thoughts, like all that stuff, is frequency. We're all frequency, you know, <laughs> um, energy and all that good stuff. And so, if you what, what he shares with the public um, within the Tiwa language, uh, he, he's a um, he's actually a New Mexico native as well. Like his father's from uh, the Picuris uh, Pueblo, cool. um, and. I think he was born in either Colorado or California, but anyway, he, he ended up coming back here um, and learning in the Pueblos here. And the the language, it already has the sound frequencies of what it actually means, you know, or what it, what it is. And he just describes it in such a beautiful way. And what he teaches you is like how to work with a frequency without controlling it, knowing you know, utilizing the cycle of nature and the way natural things progress, you know, there is life and then there's death and there's everything in between. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just expecting that an idea will come to you because it's not your idea. It's an idea that you are inspired by. Right. And and so I have this uh, uh, belief also that like no idea is really original. It's just, you know, like we, we are antennas and You know, if you have like a very strong antenna, you could kind of plug into the collective and know what the heck the collective is thinking, you know, like in terms of where we're all moving toward and um, or where we're still sinking in, (laughs) you know, whichever one you want to think about. (laughs) And and so when you when you have this inspiration, it's like you sit with it and you get to like percolate and feel through it and be like, is this something that's going to excite me? Is this something that I want to do and create for myself because I want to see this into in the future? Or is this something that I could just share with somebody verbally and then they will pick it up and, and run with it because it's not necessarily mine. I'm just the vehicle to which to inspire somebody else who's much more appropriate and and much more passionate about it, you know? Um, and, and so then when, when you choose to bring something into form, then, I mean, he freaking breaks down the whole process. It's amazing. Highly recommend. Um, and, and he says also like, you know, again, this is words, so it's defining something that is indefinable. Right. Um, but that, the way that they teach it in the Tewa Tewa language um, is that there are 10 ways um, in which that, that idea comes into form and then it dies Mm. um, and, and shares that whole cycle. And for me, I'm learning that, you know, again, with even with a fire medicine, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't need to work on it all the time because universe, like that frequency, that idea will bring into my awareness, whatever it needs to nourish it. Mm -hmm. Right. It becomes, its own energy as I put energy into it right and then then it brings it calls into other like calls in other pieces that then I'm like oh that would be really good or oh this is the team that I need you know and all that and people start showing up in my life or I'll start noticing and it, probably you you notice this too you focus on something and then all of a sudden like information arrives right <laughs> yes. totally. and, yeah and so it's that like you know, in in my picture talk, I talk about the vector. It's like, you know, where are you pointing your vector and and putting that energy that you have into this idea? And then it also coalesces and brings into form what, how it wants to unfold and that unfolding, if you allow it to unfold, it will unfold in the most graceful, effortless way. It's just that we have not been taught how to do that. No. Right. Um, For the most part, you know, there are some people who can do this beautifully, but for the most part we have not been taught and if anything we have been taught to work really hard and there and then we will have results right like we reap the results of our the labor that we put in and there's a whole lot of literature out there on this and i'm just like uh no thanks <laughs> i love
0: I always love talking to you. I haven't done it that many times, but you blow my mind. I'm really appreciative of like, because what you're speaking about to me is the return of the divine feminine. It's not Mm -hmm. like hippie girls wearing purple chiffon. It's like (laughs) availing ourselves to a collaborative interdependent relationship with cosmic forces and getting out of that like hustle, hustle, do, do Mm -hmm. mindset. Um and it's refreshing to hear someone else talk about it because a lot of times I feel like, am I the only one seeing this? <laughs> but I'm also really appreciating, and I really you know, like it's circuitous, so we'll come back to your own pathway. But what I'm I'm struck by is um your ability to unidentify and like how much freedom and magic there is when we're not identified. And I'm wondering if if that's something that has always come naturally to you, if there was, you know, something in your path that like you kind of clued in to the process of unidentifying. Like what's your that's take? That's a on really
1: it? good question. Um I Part of it, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, I was a super rebellious child, like super angsty, you know, I did not want to be defined by my parents to become a doctor, you know, they're, they're both doctors. So for forevermore, all of us were told to go and get a medical degree. And I was just like, I am not doing that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there was a lot of nots, um and, and opposites. But again, you know, when you're growing, like, I don't know if you have siblings, um, you, you do. So... so for us, I, um, I wasn't really competitive, but my older two sisters were super competitive with one another. Um, and then some of my younger siblings as well, but I never really was competitive, even though there is a super competitive side of me for myself. Like I am competitive with myself, like my standards are really high, but, <laughs> um, that right now I'm like trying to ease, ease that down <laughs> You know, and be like, it doesn't need to be so high. <laughs> right, good enough. Um, yeah. And, and so, uh, I think because I had that training as a child, as an adult, you know, there's so many like preconceived notions of who I should be like, right? And, and I, I got a lot of reflection in the United States of who I ought to be and then, um, or, or how people perceive me. And then when I went back to Japan, same thing happened, right, so if I don't open my mouth and I just have all my makeup on and I dress like a Japanese person, um, conservative, then they just assume that I'm just, you know, your regular Japanese person. And so when I'm talking, so if I'm um, being introduced to a male executive, they'll have a perception of who I am. And then the moment I (laughs) open my mouth, then they're just like, oh, shit, this person is not Japanese. You know, and because I don't talk like a normal female Japanese person, you know, and even my language when I'm using Japanese, I'll I'll use polite language, but I'm not going to like sub become sub- um, subordinate um, to the to the male language. Like in J- Japanese, there's so many different layers of like lang- like the the way that you speak depending on your gender and depending on your rank, um, and so it. I can't get it all straight. So uh, eventually, like pretty fast, they'll know that I'm not a native Japanese speaker. (laughs) And and then they're just like trying to wrap their head around. Like I could see, you know, the brain crunching. (laughs) Like Like, I could feel it. Dissonance. Don't know (laughs) what I'm dealing with. (laughs) And then they're just like, okay. You know? um, But uh, so, so I think because I've seen all that and experienced it for myself, I'm like, Oh wow. Yeah. So like everybody has all these opinions about who I might be because through their own lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know who I am. Um, although sometimes I could slip into like s- how somebody else wants me to be because like I'm just empathic that way. And, and often right now I'm getting to a point where I will catch myself doing that um, because I'm like, I don't I don't need to make you feel comfortable and make myself feel small. You know, like, and okay. when you're, I think when you start, like, A, when you realize that you're empathic and or, or sensi- sensitive, so your sensitivity, and I don't mean this in a, oh, you're sensitive, you know, like the way that we sometimes understand sensitivity. Um, we are actually leveling up in our sensitivity. So for folks who are actually experiencing this. Um, It's going to be a little bit challenging, but if you think of sensitivity as actually a fine tuning of who you are um, so that it's much more positive and and um, an upgrade of, of you as a human vehicle that you're enhancing your ability through the sensitivity, it completely changes your perspective on, on that word. Um, So that's one, but when you become sensitive and, you realize that you have the skill, um, it's nice to start watching yourself, how you interact with other people, especially women, because if you start interacting with other people and even with other women um, who have issues and who have like, comp- you know, like um, insecurities and all that kind of stuff, you might notice that then you become really gentle, but also uh, like insecure yourself. Because you pick on the other, you pick up the other person's energy. And because if you were to become s- like strong and sovereign in your energy, the other person is going to be afraid. And so, um, and, and threatened, and we're so used to not threatening, like not trying to be that person, like, right. Cause we are called the bitch and all that. Right? <laughs> I think not more before that. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I was like, wow. And in Japan, we're, we're supposed, like, we're, it's just through osmosis that you become polite, <laughs> you know? And like so the air you
0: breathe in, it's just. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Like super constipated population <laughs> emotionally, <laughs> you know? But, you know, and, and if you do it really well, you can still be graceful, but very strong in your presence, yeah. you know? And I've seen women do this, and it's just amazing when I, when I meet Women, Japanese women who, who can carry this aspect of them. And even in the United States, um, I find that you know there are certain women who can really carry that essence, like being very polite and, and respectful and yet still sitting completely in their sovereignty. It's like freaking amazing energy. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, when when I'm be- because I've been exposed to so many different versions. Of myself, so to speak, <laughs> you know, um, that allows me to be like, oh, okay. So I don't necessarily need to be in one, one area, but um, kind of like a Myers Briggs or even the Jean um, Keys, right? It's a spectrum. Like you're very comfortable in this identity that you know through your birth chart and all that kind of stuff, but that doesn't mean that you can't oscillate, you know, across the whole spectrum. And at the end of the day, you want to come back into wholeness and and into center and balanced but that doesn't mean that you you can't play along the, the, the range, you know, of all this. (laughs) Well,
0: and I think that's the trap of identification is that Mm -hmm. we, when we identify or attach to any of these aspects, then it becomes like a cage. I was talking to a girlfriend Mm -hmm. of mine over the weekend and she, she had to move unexpectedly. She's in between and she is mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm six planets in Capricorn and I'm in an empty house. And I was like, you're setting yourself up for failure. Like just because you have six planets in Capricorn doesn't mean you don't have access to every other sign. So mm-hmm. just make the most flexible fluid, go with the flow sign and call in those energies and those skill sets and play that way. But I mean it's exactly what you said in the beginning. As soon as we identify, we cut ourselves off Mm -hmm. from all these other things. And it's just frustrating, you know, watching other humans limit themselves, watching me do it when I get stuck in that trap. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm always just so inspired when I see other people who are in the practice of unidentifying.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think it could also be a little jarring if you don't have a discipline of coming back you know, to center because, and, and I've gone into places where I'm like, yeah, that is not me, but I wanted to explore as a, you know, like as a soul and a human being to, or to be guided by my soul to like explore that aspect, you know, and, and, and do that. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, if you explore too much and you're like, I say swimming in, in, you know, other pools too much, (laughs) then, you you do start losing yourself and you start giving away your power because it's actually not who you are, you mm-hmm. know um and uh like when you when you say the unidentifying it's it's at the end of the day it's a balance, right like there the masculine and feminine needs to be in balance the the total non-identification of the female or, or like the absolute exploration and the you know the lava like energy. <laughs> Right. Of, of life force um, and all the creativity that comes with it. And then the masculine, which is more of the container, the direction, the the focus, you know, um, the definition. And without the two, you can't come into wholeness, you know. And, and I think that's where we're like the humanity I find is coming into wholeness. All everyone coming at it from a different angle, different layer, you know, all that. No one any less or more. But all, all sort of adding to the collective coming back into wholeness and and that's what i'm experiencing more and more which is beautiful and then i come back into my own body and i'm like okay so what next <laughs> you know, like the like the reality of 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 being in that moment right um yeah and being
0: honest with how we're wired and what our predilections and preferences are. But I think, in, you know, it is a, a, an internal individualized alchemy. We talk about like, you know, masculine and feminine coming into balance in the outer world. And it's like, well, that's only going to happen when we do that as individuals and those shifts start to spread. And it's, you know, if I'll just speak for myself, being born mm-hmm. and raised in this country, you know, by a second wave feminist, um, for me, my path has been undoing a lot of those kind of like hyper-masculine overlays, Mm. right? So for me, it's looking at like, okay, there are these tendencies and preferences. What happens when I remove the identification and allow myself to explore and then, you know, go really way out with that feminine exploration and then come back to like, no, I'm actually wired for these preferences and these characteristics and these capabilities. Mm. But again, they're not Me And I think that's where I maintain my freedom as an ever-evolving eternal being is in acknowledging preferences, predilections, shadows, gifts, skill sets, whatnot, um, and adhering to them, but not confusing them with Mm -hmm. the larger capital M, me, because then I have more space to improvise and shift in the moment.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. There is a word, and I, I can't remember it, um, in, in Buddhism that talks about, like, when when you go into the all being, like, all that is, mm-hmm. and, and you, you feel that connectivity, um, that there, then there is the integration and adjustment of then coming back into the singularity of who you are in this physical body. And, and that is a process. And, and I find that, um, for me, that, That is my process versus a lot of people who are ascending and going, like moving into that space of unity consciousness, you know, and I'm just like, oh, been there, done that, don't need to do that. (laughs) And I'm like, no, focusing on here and now and getting grounded and, you know, uh, and and finding my preferences, you know, rather than being plugged into the, the collective and recognizing what the need is and feeling like I am responsible to deliver that need you know, which has been pretty much my entire childhood. And so, you know, extricating myself out of that, and then bumping into the whole, like, collective, and being like, oh, wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then being like, no, 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 but I'm trying to get, you know, like, back into me and and all the things that I love. And, you know, the, the, like, what Junko wants, you know, this this body wants. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It
1: reminds me of what I see
0: a lot of, like, in the psychedelic community in terms of like going really far out and blasting Mm -hmm. big ceremonies and it's like well that's lovely but like how are you integrating it and how are you bringing that into your day-to-day because you Mm -hmm. know some aspect of us agreed to play this game of like third dimensional limitations so as much as it's lovely to like, you know, geek out in those realms, for me, the task is like, okay, well, how is that going to serve me in this incarnation and what I signed up for here? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I i haven't really explored the psychedelic in person. Like, I, I don't feel like I need to imbibe or smoke or whatever, you know, um, the physical uh, particles, like I could just yeah. tap into it, whatever. Um, but I find that, you know, um, not only is it like how are you integrating it, but it's like w- when do you stop swimming in the psychedelic? Right. Totally. Um, which I find that um a lot of folks swim in it because they're like, I, I need that hit again. I need that. Hit. It's, it's almost like an addictive tendency of of this experience, this feeling. And then, you know, so one of the things that's coming up actually is um during COVID, I, I was listening to a podcast and I I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly which one it was. <laughs> um, And and the lady was talking about, um, you know, people who had to go back, you know, into their home and do work from home. Like they were starting to get stir crazy, but also they're, they're like, there's this something that I'm missing that I got when I was in the workforce, like when I actually went to work, yeah. you know. And so what she said, you know, she was just like, well, what is the essence of that experience? Mm-hmm. you know and and then identify what that essence is and is that something that then you can create for yourself in your current environment you know because it's not like you're completely cut off from humanity you could still you know with a mask or whatever or was over zoom create that very same essence but <coughs> what is that you know and and I find that with folks who are going into psychedelics or that that sense of seeking um an experience or maybe an escapism from their day to day, you know, because it creates a very different, like out of this world kind of experience, if that's not your norm. And, um, and then it's like, but what's the essence? What are you actually going after? And if you could find that piece, then it's like, then you could start really doing the integration much faster, I find, Um, because then, because there's, it's, it's addictive for a reason, you know, like you still have an labeled it in your head, right? Logos hasn't kicked in. So you haven't been able to articulate what the experience means for you. But once you are able to articulate it, then you could say, ah, okay, this is something that I could actually gain through another experience that is less stressful on my body <laughs> um, and, and doesn't kick in the addictive tendency. Yeah. Right. Which again, you, in a way it's like, you're giving away your power because you're externalizing something that is actually within you. Right. And, and then start working on how do I bring this into myself? That's that's one way of, of kind of like looking at it. The other way of looking at it um, is a a colleague of mine. um, He started DMT quest Mm -hmm. and um, it's a project that basically um, is fundraising for Research that is out uh, like at University of Michigan or, um, you, you, uh, was it UC Berkeley, you know, where they're doing a lot of psychedelic research, but not so much psychedelics as it is the endogenous mm-hmm. DMT, like mm-hmm. the DMT that's already in your body, the, yeah. the chemicals that are already in our body that our bodies are producing naturally and working with that element to then go into a space of um, unity, consciousness, mm-hmm. equanimity whatever, like harmony, whatever it is, but but putting re- money into research that is going to help us do that on our own without the reliance of these ceremonies. And, you know, sometimes I find that these ceremonies are actually not done with integrity, um, actually many, <laughs> and so, um, and and the, the approach to which you do it, because it's you, um, I think teaches someone how to be more respectful of the body of, of who you are, you know, and ultimately I'm hoping that more and more folks start realizing, oh, this is within me. It's not something that I need to go and like, you know, inject myself or drink this, that, and the other, or even alcoholism, right? Like alcohol does the same thing. And, and so it's like, how how do we reach that sense of oneness and wholeness without extrapolating too much? Mm -hmm. Um, I really like that. Yeah.
0: I also, because it's just like, I feel like a big part of the the kind of social control going on is that people are always reaching outside of themselves for authority, permission, validation, Mm. a high, whatever it is. So I love the prompt to just invite us to go with it. We all have DMT. In our brains all the time so i love this project and i also think in terms of distraction addiction dopamine there's also the social currency and the kind of egoic hits that come with like bragging about however many ceremonies you did or however many oh com-mobles. lord really oh, <laughs> oh my god i've mean, I seen it so much but i don't really okay You know, like no one's bragging about like, you know, well, I just sobbed in the fetal position with my four year old inner child, you know, like that doesn't get the same kind of egoic currency that I think psychedelics get. And then I also get really concerned about the control mechanisms coming in through the psychedelics now that they're being decriminalized, regulated, Mm. um, pushed by some questionable organizations and entities. But I'm I'm very intrigued by your own ability to connect with these states, spirits, you know, if it's like neurological pathways, whatever, without the substances themselves. And I'm wondering like, A, why that is, does it relate to your connection with these light languages? Like, why mm-hmm. are you a mystical superhero? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, that, that's a new label <laughs> you can have it, if it, if I, it, love it. I love it <laughs> um I think it's because I my sensitivity is pretty um robust <laughs> you
0: know You've and it goes
1: robust or did you develop it um I developed it or, or I became more conscious of it mm-hmm. I think I've always been impacted so like I could like I, I did hypno, so I do hypnotherapy on myself and um, I've been trained in the Marissa Peer style of hypnotherapy as well, but um, uh, I took myself back into like my mother's womb and and could feel myself in her womb in a fetal state and the the memories and the um, emotions that she was going through. And so I think I, we all have that. It's just a matter of how aware can you become in that sensitivity, how how um, open will you be able to come um without all the protective mechanisms that you probably have as a human being and some people like that that's their job is to show how like different stages of the human beingness you know um and for me it's this super sensitivity and i didn't really understand it until probably um 2017 uh when i went into a um what, was it 2017? Somewhere around there. I went into a cave in Romania. Um, and it I was one of those cave where the cathedral is, because I haven't been able to get that out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been there, but okay. it was nearby. <laughs> okay. And it, it's one of those caves where, so Romania has all these, it's a, um, they, they still practice the Orthodox Catholic uh, Christian traditions. And um, it's a very spiritual country still. And uh, they have these monasteries that, you know, where monks go and meditate or just like people just go and meditate for years or weeks or however long and over generations. And one of the um, oldest caves uh, was this like there's a Christian little I mean, it literally is you're walking into the earth. Um, and uh, it's like the moment I walked in, time stopped. Like it it, it was almost like I was in a different dimension and there was a cross and like, you know, all these effigies of Christ and and all that. Um, and when I walked out of it, like I couldn't, I just started bursting into tears and I could not stop at all. Like, and, and I'm, you know. I'm Japanese. We don't show emotion, you know, <laughs> like definitely not in public. And even if you're on your own, like you don't go there. You know, I know uh, I was like full on, like crying, like nose and snotty, you know, all this stuff, like good 20 minutes, solid. So after that, I was like, oh Were shit. Were there any stories or was it just pure no. emotion? No, pure emotion, just uncontrollable. Um, And when that happened, I was like, I need to figure out what this is all about, you know, and it just so happened that a friend of mine um had invited me to go do ener- like some kind of energy training. And at the time, like, I was just like, I'm, I don't know what this is, but I'm just going to do it because it was just something about energy. And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know? oh. And there
0: an aspect of you that was conflicted around that because you're like I'm practical poli person
1: or was it no there wasn't there wasn't a um I think when you viscerally experience something it just eliminates any questions yeah (laughs) right and and I think that's the thing like even with psychedelics it's like you viscerally experience it and once you experience it you can't not experience it
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this latest episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. I am reminding slash thanking you to and for (laughs) clicking that subscribe button for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews, as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through... A really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging coaching and consulting, you can find me at dannykatz.com as well as languaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation... You can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at Katz at pm.me or by way of Venmo where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rocking day. See you next time, superstars.